Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello and welcome to the Audio Time Capsule episode 8. For those of you new to the show, I'm comedian Simon Kane, and this is the podcast where I invite on a guest, get them to leave 20 questions, then invite them back on a year later to answer them. I then edit it so they're talking to their past self. All past voices will sound like this, and all future voices will sound like this. To give you an example of how this podcast is structured, here is a question that I left myself just before meeting up with today's guest. Simon, you just bought a scarf. You don't normally wear scarves. You like it. It's an infinity scarf. It's really nice. Pretty sure you're never going to wear it. I'm pretty sure it's going to live in your cupboard and you might think about it, but then decide on the way out the door that it's not for you and you're not a scarf person the same way you decided you're not a hat person about two years ago. Have you worn it? Was it worth the purchase? Was it worth the £14 you spent on it? Bet it wasn't, mate, was it? In your face past me, I did wear it. I mean... I've not worn it loads, if I'm honest, um, but I have worn it. I actually went and bought another scarf the other day. Uh, it's a bit Harry Potter, the scarf I bought, if I'm honest. It's red and black stripes. Uh, I didn't realise that when I bought it. I'm not a massive Harry Potter fan, if I'm honest. So, yeah, I have worn scarves. I am not wearing them enough to validate them as a purchase, but I still like them. So I still buy them. But, nah, I've only bought one other scarf. And, yeah, uh, uh, it prob- probably would have been better to spend that money on fruit and veg and something to make me healthier. In this episode, I invited on Jacob Hawley, a comedian who at the time was only a few years into comedy, but was making a lot of headway in getting to paid and progression spots, and was also just a really nice and intelligent guy. I I met him a few times, and we'd met up for some writing sessions, and I I I just really like his style of comedy, I really like him as a person, and I I like what he's putting together as a show, so I thought he would be an interesting one to see what it's like for someone who very early on, who is moving up quite quickly by comparison to other people, and see how his year goes. This is a really earnest and lovely talk where he was quite tired, if I'm completely honest, Um, but I'll let him explain that in the podcast. And we cover his worries about his personal life and his career in comedy and a few wider issues in society. I really liked it. uh, To be fair, I've not hated a single episode yet, but this was really cool to hear. And I sort of wish someone had done this with me when I was sort of a few years in, because it would be really interesting to see how year ago me or year three and four of me in comedy were versus year four and five me, if that makes sense. I don't think that does, but that's the best I'm going to come up with at this point. It's sort of two o'clock in the morning and I'd like to get this edited so uh if you're new here please do remember to hit the subscribe button if you're old here please do remember to give us an honest review in itunes an honest positive review in itunes and and either way do consider joining the facebook group it's called the audio time capsule and it's on facebook obviously but for now let's open the time capsule of jacob hawley 
Hi, uh, my name is Jacob Hawley. Today is Sunday the 4th of September 2016. I am in Angel Comedy um, in the old venue above the Camden Head in Angel and I am feeling very excited to do the Comedy Capsule podcast project. So my name is Jacob Hawley. It's the 11th of August 2017 uh, and I'm at the Edinburgh Fringe uh, on Grass Market and I am... Very excited to open my time capsule. Jacob, where do you live? Have you managed to afford a new flat that has windows? <laughs> it's quite funny how sad my voice sounds. So, can, can I just can I, can I explain the context of, of that recording and when that was made? Just just off top. Um, so that was uh, we we recorded those questions the morning after. Well. The morning after, a really not, I had a really nice gig um, with Angel Comedy at Bill Murray, and I celebrated having a really nice gig by going to a warehouse party in Haringey, and um, yeah, it's, I was just, I was a bit broken <laughs> when we recorded that, um, and uh, yeah, so that's why I sound a bit sad. I probably sound really sad in all the questions. I do, I, I, I do have somewhere to live that has windows now. That so that was referring to. I, I was in a bit of a weird place. Um, so we recorded that. Was that in September? Yes. That was September last year when we recorded that. So I, f- I finished university in uh, 2014, um, which is also when I started comedy. Um, I moved in with my two best mates in Camden. We lived in Camden for two years. And so then last summer, uh, one of my best mates moved to Berlin. And I've got a bit about that in my show. And one of them moved back to Stevenage. So I moved in with my girlfriend, but it, it wasn't like it wasn't like in the films where the guy gets down on one knee and gives the girl a key. It was more both of us going, we we can't afford to live on our own. <laughs> so we, and I think she's probably fine with me saying that. We moved into a house share in uh, in Camden. We had one bedroom which didn't have any windows, and it was tiny. So we were in there. There was two nice Italian girls in the other room. I think they they were on bunk beds. And then there was two Bulgarian guys in the other room, father and son. Uh, they didn't have bunk beds; they were sharing a double bed. It was it was really it was actually really expensive as well. We we didn't. The idea was that we'd move in, share a room, save loads of money. We didn't. But then we got really lucky. Um, my mate who moved to Berlin, he's a he's a barber at one of these really fancy barber shops in London. And one of his clients is a film director who recently won the Sundance uh, Best Director Award. So. Because he just made this film and he was going to be touring around, um, promoting it around the world, you know, going to premieres and f- festivals and stuff, he wanted to rent out his flat in Kennington, uh, South London, sort of near Camberwell. And it's a really nice flat. And basically, he through through my mate Matt, we got that, and he gave us he gave us a really cheap price because what he said to us, he was like, "Look, I've got a lot of uh, quite expensive artwork and furniture in my flat. I don't want to have to put it into storage while I go away." If you don't mind me leaving my nice expensive artwork and furniture in this flat, I'll knock the price of storage off the price of the flat. And like from my point of view, I was like, well, it's not as if I've got a load of expensive artwork and furniture that I want to. So yeah, it's per- so yeah, we we do have a flat. Um, me and my girlfriend, we live um, yeah in in this really nice place in uh, South London now, and it's great. So. Yes, that, that's a it's a long winded, but it's a positive answer to the first question. I'm I'm aware of some of these questions. I maybe set the bar quite high in terms of what I expected myself to achieve over this year. Um, but with that one, at least, I can say, uh, yeah, definitely taking a step up from where I was last year. <laughs> it's not necessarily a comedic step up, but in terms of accommodation, I do now have windows. How does your comedy calendar look? 
Are you still performing at Angel Comedy regularly? My co- well, my, my comedy calendar at this point in time, um, it looks it looks pretty good actually. It look, like bearing in mind I'm at Edinburgh, I haven't done. I've I've got a backlog of like admin that I need to do to book in more gigs. Um, it does actually. I'm fairly busy um, until Christmas. I. I like to gig about five times a week. Sometimes that goes up, sometimes that goes down. But that, I like. I don't like to have more than one or two nights off. I think. I think perhaps the problem with the with the industry as a whole at the moment is that there just there's so many performers. There's especially so many performers in the bracket that I fall into, um, in terms of who I am, what I look like, what I do, and where I am in terms of my experience. So um, there, there just there, there aren't enough gigs really especially there aren't enough good gigs i think to to maintain that level of five five shows a week that are good shows that are worthwhile in terms of doing and in terms you know financially worthwhile which, which is why i'm i'm so incredibly lucky that i get to perform angel comedy so much and I, I really have to say that they've been like so instrumental in i cause I, I think i have improved quite a lot over the last year or two and that that's hugely been down to them that's hugely been down to the amount of stage time they've given me the opportunities they've given me and they they do it for loads of people. I think I think if you look at a lot of people on the circuit who've who've really moved up in the last few years, even if you just look through the the competitions, the big competitions over the last few years, and the people who've gone on from being winners or finalists in those to then going on and doing really cool stuff and becoming really good comics, you you can see where Angel Comedy specifically has had a real effect on those in terms of stage time, and in terms of giving them a good room to work with, and. Yeah, so so I am I am still doing a bit of a. I'm not doing as much as I was a year ago, and that that's a that's a consequence of me being a little bit busier with other things and them having more performers that are involved now. Because what what I'm kind of referring to with with this in terms of the amount that I gig there, a year ago I was one of few or fewer people that helped them out a bit. And so what happened? Well, actually, it was it was more than a year ago, probably about eighteen months ago. I'd, I'd done a few gigs at Angel. I'd re- I really enjoyed them. Um, and I sort of said to Barry and Masood, I was like, look, if you guys ever need a hand, I'm happy to come down a bit earlier and help set up. Thinking that, you know, I, I just meant that as like a casual kind of thing. I'll, I'll help you out if you want. I didn't realise that there's a spreadsheet of people who already do that, who have a rotor system for doing that. So there, so there are a few of us um, performers, and there, there are a lot more now than there were at the time, who turn up a bit earlier, Angel, help do the chairs, sometimes help with the queue, um, clean up glasses in the end maybe. And it means we go in there a little bit earlier. We get slightly more regular spots performing there. Yeah, so that so that that's kind of what I was doing at the time. Like I say, I'm doing slightly less of it at the moment, but I'm still there pretty regularly. Um, and yeah, they, those guys are just I, I love those. And every single one of them as well. Not not just Masood and Barry, but Sarah, Simon. Um, you know, everyone involved. The other MCs that are regular there are fantastic. Yeah, I, I I can't I can't spread enough love for those guys because they've they've really really helped me out so much in the last eighteen months. What gender is your new niece or nephew? Do you love them as much as Harry, your original nephew? How has the family coped with the expansion? And have you written more gory material about your poor sister giving birth? <laughs> Sorry, I tried. To, I was laughing a bit while him. Yes, yeah, so, so um, my sister had another child um in november of last year um she's a beautiful baby girl she's called isabella um she's amazing yeah love her to bits so so the in i I referred in the question to a bit of material that i've been doing for the last year or so about (laughs) about when my sister had her first child my her first child is harry he's my nephew 
Um, he's amazing. He he's the spit of me. I don't I don't know if it, some people who know me will have seen pictures of him. He literally looks identical to me. Like to the point where if me and my sister go out with him, I get a lot of awkward questions where people think I'm his dad. And <laughs> it's incredibly awkward. But yeah, he's amazing. And so I had a bit of material about the time that he was born. Because my sister was really young uh, when she had Harry. I think she was 19, 18 or 19. I think for a lot of people, there is a negative connotation about teenage pregnancy. My family, we were really celebratory about it. We were like, we, we'd been excited about it. You know, she, my, my parents are hugely supportive of her. And her boyfriend's incredible as well, James. I, f- I frequently refer to him as my brother-in-law, despite the fact they're not married, just because I'm really close with him. So on the night that she had her first child, Harry, my parents snuck alcohol into the maternity ward in their Volvic bottles, and we got battered. We got really, really drunk to the point where the nurses got a bit annoyed with us. That was the first time, and I wrote quite a lot of... Well, not a lot. I wrote material about that, and I've got material about that in my current show. The second time, the more... So when Isabella was born last November, it wasn't that atmosphere at all. It was... I think it was a lot later at night or earlier in the morning, and it was much more... I mean, James was amazing. Her... My sister's boyfriend, he was incredible this time. I remember, I, like... He's a big lad. He's quite hench, and he's uh, he's covered in tatties. And it's just quite funny. He, he had his top off, and he was just wandering down this sort of aisle of the maternity ward, and he had like two cups of squash in his hands to give to my sister while she was um, giving. I wonder. I wonder if she's all right with me saying all this. <laughs> <laughs> it's just struck me that I'm going into quite a lot of detail, um, but yeah. So, so this time it wasn't. It wasn't as we. My parents weren't getting pissed. I, I was sober. Me and my dad were asleep, to be honest, in the waiting room. But we, we were all there again. And yeah. And now, so now I've got a three-year-old nephew, and I've got my um, seven, eight-month-old niece now. Fortunately, she she is healthy. Um, you know, touchwood, and, and uh, yeah, she's a beautiful little girl, and uh, yeah, couldn't be happier. Are you finally set to begin your master's degree and has that influenced your stand-up comedy? No, I am not going to begin my master's degree. <laughs> I I think at this time last year I was I was uh, I just deferred so I was supposed to start it last October 2016 and I deferred it so it would have been October 2017 that I'd be starting it. Because because I'm employed by my university that I uh, graduated from on my theatre arts course, I I I could have done a master's for free. But uh, I'm not going to. I, I don't have time. To put it quite, put it quite simply, I, d- I just don't have time. You know, comedy's taking up more and more of my time, and I really, I want it to take up more and more of my time. I want to spend more time writing, and I want to, I want to spend more time doing things that aren't necessarily live work. You know, I've, I've got scripts that we're we're working on producing at the moment. I've got other things that I'm working on, and I want to be able to commit more of my time to that. I think the main reason I wanted to do the masters a is just that it's free. And it felt like a silly thing not to do just because it's free. B, it, w- it would have opened doors in terms of career-wise at the university. I'm I'm very aware that with my level of debt, I am probably going to have to have some kind of other work that I always do. Not always at the same time as comedy. There might be times when I can go through life just living off comedy, but I'm always going to be ha- going to have to be able to do something else. Um, and I'm fortunate that I can work at the university. If I had the masters and if I could then go on to do a PGC in higher education, I could then perhaps do more sort of like guest lecturing that kind of thing. That I should say I'm not doing that at the moment. Um, but uh, yeah, so that that was kind of why I was thinking of doing that. At the end of the day, um, I'm j- I just don't have the time. I don't. I don't. You know, the, I, I've got this permanent guilt in my head, and this probably isn't necessarily a healthy thing, but I've got this permanent guilt in my head telling me that I'm not doing enough writing telling me that even when I gig six or seven times a week it's not enough and that I'm not 
doing enough on the stage. I'm not being ambitious enough on the stage. I'm not being experimental enough on stage. And my, you know, the, the only remedy I can always think of for that is we'll do another gig next week, do an extra gig next week, double up more next week. I know, I deep down, I know that doesn't necessarily work, but I do have that guilt in my head, and that that guilt only applies to stand up. I don't have that feeling about about higher education. There's nothing in my head telling me you should be studying a master's degree. So at the moment, I'm I'm, I'm kind of just responding to that impulse. I just I just want to focus on stand up. I mean, I'm 25, so I, I don't really feel like um you know like it's now or never. You know, I like I say, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'll still be employed in some capacity by that university for a while. So the option will still be there, but you know, at the, at the moment, I enjoy seeing my friends. You know, I've got a girlfriend. I'd like to see my niece and nephew more, and my family more. I yeah, I, I think what one one thing I've really learned over the last year or so is how valuable time is, and how there just isn't enough of it. Um, yeah, and so so no, no no masters at the moment, none of that, and just focusing on what I'm doing. Have you gone part time at work? Yeah, focus more on your comedy and our end meeting. Sorry, I probably came in a bit quick there. Yeah, I yeah, and I, I need to I need to make a decision actually after the fringe how how frequently I am going to work in terms of whether it's three days a week or four days a week. This is probably quite a boring logistical question, really. <laughs> um, ends our meeting. I. I you know I I don't really have much money but I don't need for much. I've read a few times that the, the easiest way to make ends meet with any kind of job like this is to have as low overheads as possible and I'm quite fortunate that I can do that. I'm in a lot of debt but you know they're not they're not knocking the door down yet. So yeah, I'm doing less and less day work. I'm I'm quite like I said I'm really fortunate that the job that I do at my university it, it is quite flexible. I can do I can do like an open day at the weekend. I can help out with an open day at the weekend, which leaves me free in the week if I need to, you know, leave a bit earlier in the week to travel to a gig. Similarly, I can do the opposite. I can I can do an evening open open evening, and yeah. So um, yeah, I am doing a lot less work. I need I need to make a decision about that when I get back about how much work I'm going to be doing during the day. But um, that's a decision for after Edinburgh. Has I am the disco bot been staged? And if so, did anyone realise that you can't actually sing? No, no, it hasn't. <laughs> I not only had I completely forgotten that I'd asked that question, but I'd actually completely forgotten about that project, <laughs> which tells you how far that went. Um, <clears throat> I am the Disco Bot is a uh, musical. It had a lot of drag in it. It was a sort of disco-based musical. No, it didn't. No, nothing really happened with it. We workshopped a couple of scenes. It was written by two friends of mine that work at the same university as me. Um, and no, that it. <laughs> that, uh, there's no way of sugarcoating it it just didn't happen we we workshopped it a few times we we spoke about ways we could stage it potentially taking it to a fringe and stuff like that but no didn't didn't happen simple as that has pete mintz been produced and if so did you manage to get it seen by oh, I, don't, I don't know why i asked these questions because it's just like a graveyard of like ideas that never came to me pete pete mintz is an animation that i wrote i wrote three episodes of it and two of my two of my very close friends are professional animators. So the idea was that they were going to animate it, and me and a couple of other people were going to voice it. Animation takes an awful lot of time. <laughs> it really does take ages. And I, I, I think when when you first look at it, you think of it, and it looks like a really quick and easy way of making something. It's quicker than having actors. It's cheaper than buying set and props and everything like that. Oh my god, it takes a long time, and um, yeah, it takes a long time. It, it is expensive because animators are—they get paid an awful lot by the day. And when you're asking two of your close friends to work on something for free, 
you know, on, on something that they do freelance for an awful lot, well, not, you know, but like a good amount of money. There's no whip that you can crack. Do you know what I mean? You can't say, hey, mate, you know, we come on, let's get scene one done by next week. They're doing it 40 hours a week already. Do you know what I mean? So it, we'd maybe have enough stuff made already that we could make a little pilot out of it. I mean, the scripts are there, and it, I, I, I think it's quite a funny script, and who knows in the future, you know, there, there is a chance that I'll get revived. But no, that that, that didn't come to fruition, sadly. I, <laughs> I must sound awful, I must <laughs> none, none of my ideas have happened. But no, it, I, and I don't, I don't think... I don't think it's necessarily that bad a thing to to have started writing something, to have written some stuff that I'm quite proud of and for it not to be there yet. I don't think it's necessarily the worst thing in the world. Um, you know, I'm talking to people about getting a couple of other things that I've written made. I'm pretty sure one of them will be made and that's going to go to some good places. But those, I am the disco boy, it's completely dead. Pete Mintz is in a coma um, and I'd, I'd love him to be revived one day, but I wouldn't put money on it. After deciding to start competing in stand-up comedy competitions again, how successful have you been in doing so? Uh, mixed. <laughs> mixed success. Um, last year, I did the Amused Moose competition. I got to the wild card round, which is the round between the semi-final and the final, which is a very difficult thing to try and put on posters. <laughs> I competed in King Gong. I, I didn't. I never thought of myself as being the kind of act who who could do a gong show. And then a really nice uh, person who is an agent and a friend was like, "Just do it." So I did it, and I fortunately won. That was on Halloween, and it was mental. Go, I mean, gong shows have got a reputation for being a bit uh, rowdy and mad already. But the Halloween, there was ten blokes in the second row dressed as the Grim Reaper with inflatable scythes. And every time they didn't like a joke, they would stand up and swing their scythe. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it was actually really fun. And as a result of that, I've managed to do some more spots, some more spots at the comedy store. So that was a success. Uh, did the Leicester Square New Comedian of the Year? Got to the semi-final. Two people's phones went off during my set. Didn't get to the final. Natty's horrible experience, <laughs> to be honest. And then. More recently, I've been lucky enough to get to the final of the BBC New Comedy Awards, which is next week, the final of that. I say, I say been lucky enough. I'm not just being humble. I've been insanely lucky in that competition. I forgot about the deadline to submit. Um, so you have to submit a bit of audio to the BBC, then they listen to it, and then the, I, I don't know, like 40 people they like the most, they shortlist for the heats. I completely forgot, I did it at the last minute, I sent them an audio clip that's full of swearing. And so I should say, actually, that's a that's a myth that everyone in comedy believes. Everyone in comedy, well, not everyone in comedy. New acts, I've heard a lot of times new acts saying, the BBC didn't shortlist me for the new comedy award, it's because I sent them a clip and it had a swear word in it. That's rubbish. Mine, mine was full of swear words. And not just full of swear words, it was, it was quite gross as well. It's, I I'm not usually that blue a comedian, but it was, yeah. So I, I didn't actually get shortlisted for the heat, so I was on a waiting list. And the Friday before the first heat, which was on a Monday, one of the people who was going to be in that heat dropped out at three o'clock in the afternoon on the Friday. So they phoned me because I was on the waiting list. They put me in the heat for the Monday. And then the guy apparently phoned them back and was like, can I have my spot back? Cause my, my filming's just been cancelled that I cancelled it for. And uh, fortunately, they didn't give him his spot back, so I got my spot. I came runner-up in the heat, so I was lucky then to get into the semi-final. The semi-final was last week. I, I, I didn't think I had a particularly good gig, but I, I did get through... Dane Baptiste and Angela Barnes were the judges. And uh, 
I really felt I got really lucky for them to put me through. And we were doing pictures afterwards. And at one point during my set, I mentioned that I live in South London. As we were doing the pictures afterwards, Dane said to me, where did you grow up in South London? And so in my head for the last few days, I've been thinking, oh God, he only put me through because he grew up in South London and I, he thinks I grew up there when I actually grew up in, um, I actually grew up in Hertfordshire. So <laughs> don't get me wrong, I completely played along at the time. I completely, I was like, oh yeah, Camberwell, mate, Camberwell. <laughs> and he was like, oh cool, I'm, I'm from Peckham. I was like, nice, nice. <laughs> um... But yeah, that, that's that's the BBC um, New Comedy Board has been a really cool thing to be a part of. All the people who work with it as part of it are absolutely lovely, like really, really lovely. I'm not just saying that, they're, they're like lovely, lovely people. And a couple of people have sort of said that the BBC New Comedy Award is, you know, one of the bigger competitions. And as a result of that, after being listed as finalist in that, you don't really need to do competitions after that. And I'm really crossing my fingers and hoping that's the case because, God, I hate them. Like, I mean, like, like I say, this, this one's been a joy to be a part of and every single gig has been, I mean, not just professionally run, but, you know, professional to a broadcast standard. Do you know what I mean? So it's just nice to be on a stage with Nish Kumar emceeing. Some, some of them are awful. Some of the competitions, are they're not as much fun to be a part of. And, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that I, I won't be doing any more after this one. I, I'm really not bothered about winning the BBC thing at all. Ollie Murs did all right after being a finalist in The X Factor. And we've got similar hairlines, so I think, uh, you know, I'm following his shoe. But yeah, it was a joy to be a part of, and, it, and it's quite nice for me being being in Edinburgh and doing that. I've actually I had one member of audience in a show who saw me, so she saw me at the BBC tent in Edinburgh. She was a tiny old lady. She was under four. She was under five foot. She wasn't under four foot. She was under five foot. She was really really little old lady. She walked all the way from the BBC tent straight after my semi final to find the venue I was performing at so that she could come the next day. She came the next day, and I, I do I do one joke as part of my BBC recording that's kind of about animal rights. It's not really about animal rights, but it kind of mentions that I give money to a charity for animal rights. She expected my whole show <laughs> to be about animal rights, and she was really really upset at the end. And she I was I was stood there with my bucket at the end, and she was sort of hanging on my arm, going, "I was so sad you didn't say more about the animals. I was really upset that you." And and she also she said to me, you mentioned that you're a fan of Arsenal Football Club. I don't even usually do that in the show. That was just part of some audience interaction. She goes, oh, you mentioned that you're a fan of Arsenal Football Club. One of the investors in Arsenal Football Club actually owns a TV channel for game hunting. Are you going to sign a petition about that? And I just I felt awful. And I, I was like, I will sign the petition. Yeah. And she 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 did put a little bit of money in the bucket, but she also put a bit of paper in the bucket. And before she put it in, she wrote about four documentaries about, you know, like like veganism, animal rights and stuff like that. I was, she was lovely, but I just felt awful that she, she'd thought I was going to be a certain kind of act that I perhaps I'm perhaps not. But yeah, to answer the question, um, yeah, I've had a mixed um, a mixed bag of competitions, really. I'm happy to have won the gong because I, I didn't think I was the kind of act that could do a gong show. And I'm really happy to be in the BBC New Comedy Awards final. Are you represented by an agent? And if so, has that changed anything? Was it the agent that you were speaking to in 2016? No, I'm not uh, represented currently by an agent. I'm, I'm hoping that that's going to be resolved within the next few weeks. I say resolved as if it's a problem. It's not a problem. I'm, I'm, I'm quite fortunate that I, I am, I've spoken to a lot of agents and I it was probably on one of uh, your podcasts Simon that I, I heard someone say wait for the agents to approach you don't go and approach agents and so I never have but I've been fortunate enough from I think so one of them uh, the one that I was I'm not going to mention any names or companies because that's probably a bit weird isn't it one of them saw me in a competition last year 
and she's been amazing. She's just been really helpful. She's given me loads of advice. She's helped me to edit scripts that I'm making. She's given me advice on shows. She's seen me quite a few times, which once prompted a rather strange promoter to use the analogy well if you've been on that many dates with her and you haven't slept with her it's not obviously not that interested and, and as, as in like as in like if she's seen you that many times and she hasn't signed you she'll seem that interested in the same way as if you were dating i mean it was weird but <laughs> yeah so um and then with a few of the other ones that i've been recommended by acts that i've performed with they've, they've sort of said oh are you have you got representation yet you, you know I'll, I'll get my agent to come and have a look at you one of them who i was really really impressed by he was just watching open mic nights so it was a, it was a new material night downstairs at king's Abbey. Uh, it really impressed me that he was there watching these nights just just to have a look and see who's sort of coming up and stuff but i'm, I'm not represented by anyone at the moment i i spoke speaking to a few people and i i do i do it's, it's been really nice speaking to a few people and getting a few people's perspective on what i do and on what i should do next and what i could do within comedy but i they there's enough things now that I really want to do in the next 12 months that I, I feel like I need someone's help with. And I, I, I just want to start building towards something a bit longer term and having things in place, you know, for the next few years. I, I do I do want to get sorted with someone now. I think at first when I, when I uh, this time last year, I mean, I, I was asking that question probably because it was on my mind a lot. I think this time last year, it was, it was just that thing of seeing other people who'd been going as long as me and did have agents. And you naturally kind of think, oh, if they've got one, I want one. You know, they, they're obviously doing better than me if they've got one and I don't which definitely isn't the case at all I know a lot of people who are incredibly good stand-ups who are, who are doing really well for themselves who don't have representation I'm at a stage now with what I want to do with comedy and not just live work but other stuff that it would be really beneficial for me to have someone helping me out and I think that's why I, I really do want to get something sorted soon what, with what I'm doing at Edinburgh this year I'm doing sort of like a 40 minute it's not a work in progress show but it's not a finished show it's it's well it's not a finished hour I'm doing 40 minutes every day I'm changing the material you know I'm taking bits in um taking bits out kind of thing every day with the idea of putting together something really good as a debut hour for next year and I want to take as as good a run-up as possible to next year's Edinburgh Fringe so having someone to help me out in terms of getting a good venue in terms of putting together a good PR campaign in terms of developing the material that would be really helpful and also then thinking about what I do with that show after next year because by next year that show will be four years of me as a comic working towards an hour show and what I do with that material could be quite um I could do something quite interesting with it so no, not represented by anyone at the moment, but I'm, I, I am hoping that will... I mean, I don't, when does this go out? Do you, well, I, uh, well I, I, don't, I don't know when this goes out, but may, maybe by the time it does, that will be different, but I don't know. Are you still attempting to DJ at house parties? And what reception is this receiving? I, I've done that a couple more times, um, largely without anyone asking me to. <laughs> it's, do you know what? It, it is something that I really want to do. I really, like... Because I, when I first when I first decided that I wanted to do comedy, that was basically I it was I was really young. I was maybe about twelve. It was it, I remember it was at the age where I realised I wasn't clever enough to do like a proper, well paid job that would make a that would sort of you know satisfy me like that. So I thought, well, let's do what I find the most enjoyable, which was you know trying to do th- funny things. But I kind of like look, looking around at friends that I've got who DJ now, and looking around at I kind of wish back then I'd gone actually being a DJ would be more fun than being a comedian <laughs> but i'm awful at it i'm so bad at it just using my mate's equipment and stuff like that i'm awful at it so no i haven't i haven't done too much more of that well the people around me are quite good at stopping me from doing that and uh more power to them how on earth is ruby still putting up with you if she is 
if she is imagine so so that ruby's uh ruby's my girlfriend and again i don't know why i asked that question because imagine if she had imagine if we'd broken up that'd be horrible imagine if i had to sit here now in the middle of edinburgh fringe you know the most like psychologically exhausting time of year and i had to sit and explain to myself from a year ago why i'm no longer with my girlfriend I mean, fortunately, fortunately, she is still putting up with me. Unfortunately, uh, we are still together. I don't know how she puts up with me. She, she's um, she's amazing at putting up with lots of things about me. She's um, she she's been pretty insistent previously that I <laughs> that I that there's something quite wrong with the way my moods swing and change. She says it's like going out with about six different people in terms of the moods that I get into, <laughs> which 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 uh, which could be quite an insensitive thing to say if I'd actually been diagnosed with anything but <laughs> and she she's incredibly like insanely supportive with comedy like I mean I mean almost too much you know that I remember there's a few times she said to friends of ours you know because obviously with this I'm out of the house all the time I mean you know like I say I'm, I'm usually only home one or two nights a week and there's been a few times when she said to friends of ours I'm actually quite glad that he's out of the house five nights a week he'd drive me insane if he was here more often and I think that's probably with the way with the way that our relationship works. That's probably the healthiest way for it to be. But yeah, she. I mean, she. I, I don't want really to sort of gush about her too much, but she's incredible. She's very supportive. We we have a good, healthy relationship where where I I I, I like to think I'm as supportive of her as she is of me in terms of what I do in comedy. And I'm really fortunate that she she's become a massive comedy fan. She when when we met, we met around the time that I was thinking about starting to do gigs and. You know, and so I, I was. I remember what what I did when I first started. Is I, I and I think I'm loath to say that I give good advice, but I think I think this probably is good advice. Is that I went and watched a lot of live comedy before I started performing, and I dragged her along to loads of stuff. We we used to go to the Invisible Dot all the time. Um, we used to watch a lot of shows. You know, we we used to very frequently go to Soho Theatre and watch stuff. And she's a huge comedy fan now. Um, you know, to a point where it's sometimes a bit worrying how how much i mean I, I for a long time i thought she fancied liam williams and uh this in the end she said no i just fancy his voice which is kind of already i mean he has got a good voice but it, you know I, i'm uh, yeah i'm fine with that but yeah she, so that that's nice is that she's really 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 into comedy um she adores jamie dimitriou she stalks jamie natasha dimitriou um to an unhealthy level really <laughs> online i should say <laughs> um but yeah Yes, we we are we are still together. We're, we're still in a happy relationship, and yeah, she's a lovely person. For Edinburgh 2017, you had two plans. One was to go with a technical show that had a rigid structure. The other was to go with a more free-form 40-minute stand-up show that was aimed at getting used to performing longer sets regularly. Did either of these plans materialise, and were they successful? The second one is what materialised, and. It materialised exactly as I described it in that question, which is quite surprising, to be honest, because I, I actually was... At that point, I really thought I was going to do this show that was based on tech and videos and me interacting with a live projection on stage. That So I, w- I won't explain the idea too much because, one, it's a bad idea and it reflects badly on me, and two, it's quite long-winded. The idea, the idea was that I was going to be on stage with what I told the audience was a FaceTime feed to my family so that it would look as if my family were watching the show and the audience were watching them watch the show as a kind of weird goggle box thing. Obviously, it would actually be a pre-record, but it would look as if I was responding to them as if it was a live feed, which is mental. Like the idea of trying, I mean, the, the expense of filming that, of, put, of putting it in a venue where that's possible, you know, because you, you obviously can't do that on the free fringe. Yeah, and also it just doesn't suit, suit me as an act. 
like I, I, I like being in the room. I, I don't like being tied to a script. I like being able to, you know, mess around a bit. And it, it just didn't suit me at all. So now I've, I've very much done the latter. And it, this is this is my first fringe, really. This this is the I should say. So what you we're 2017 now. So in 2015, I came up to the fringe for three days with my two mates who aren't comedians. We just got battered. We were, I think we watched one show, and that was a mixed bill compilation show, purely because I was friends with one of the people on that. So that wasn't helpful. <laughs> um, I think the only gig that I did, I say gig, I performed three and a half minutes of material to a stranger in the street so that she'd give me a cigarette. So that was that was 2015. Last year, 2016, uh, I came up and I did a two-hander show for four days. Did a few other spots while I was here, but a- again, I, you know, it was very much a tourist experience at the Fringe. This year, I've gone full on and i'm doing a solo 40 minutes that it's a bit work in progressy I'm, I'm doing my best to fly under the radar with it i don't want to be reviewed um i'm moving bits of material in and out of it every day i don't feel like i'm conning the audience i'm not selling tickets i'm not i'm saying to the audience that it is a kind of work in progressy kind of thing the idea is that it's going to help me put together something that i can produce as a debut hour for next year and with that, I should say that probably some of the material that I'm doing will still be in next year's show. I don't know if that's cheating. I, I don't really care if it is. No, no, most people haven't seen it or reviewers haven't seen it. So, yeah, so I've done the latter and I'm having a great time. I'm really, really enjoying this fringe. It's a really daunting thing, Edinburgh, especially when... Because I felt like I'd been going... I mean, I, so this is... I've been going three years now. So I thought that was quite a long time to have not done a full fringe. And it's like one of those things, the more you put it off, the more daunting it becomes. But And I've, I've, um, I've said this a couple of times, but I am trying to take it one day at a time. That sounds like a really pathetic thing to say about an arts festival. <laughs> but um, yeah, otherwise, if you think of it as like a three-week thing, it's just how do you get your head around that? And I'm fortunate that, you know, people are coming up to visit, friends are coming up, my girlfriend's coming up. I've got a bit of... I'm actually... I have to leave the Fringe for a couple of days, in, well, near the end, because I've got a bit of filming in barcelona so it's quite nice that i get a bit of sun but yeah so but yeah I, so i've done i've done the the latter and i'm, I'm really enjoying it I, the thing is although this show that i'm doing this year is is something that i'm still working on and it's not a finished hour i'm still really proud of it like i, I, I still I, I don't think anyone's walked away and thought that that wasn't a finished show that was a poor show I'm, i haven't got notes on stage i'm not you know it, I, I i do believe in what i'm doing at this year's fringe i'm do i do believe that anyone who sees it will enjoy it so yeah. In 2016, you were regularly performing 10-minute open spots at a lot of clubs on pro nights. Have any of these clubs offered you the opportunity to perform for a paid opening 20-minute spot, as is often cited as progression? Uh, oh God! Again, a question that <laughs> a question that you don't necessarily want to have to answer. Um, in some cases, yes. Uh, yeah, there's some clubs where I'm doing 20s now. There's some where I'm still doing open spots. There's some where I'm doing 15s. Uh, what what I really what I really like when people do is don't follow the circuit. Is this really rigid linear thing where you make a list of clubs, do 10 minute spots, and then work your way up to doing 20s, work your way up to try and be the headliner? Because I just don't think it ever actually works like that. And what I what I really admire is when I speak to other comics and they've found. Not necessarily ways around that, but just ways of making the circuit work for them or, you know, doing different kind of gigs or doing touring their own show and finding finding spaces where that really works. And I think when I, when I first started and may, maybe a little bit last year, you kind of have this thing in your head of like that there's this, re, there's this ladder 
And if someone's doing a 20-minute spot at one of the clubs where you're doing 10, they're above you on the ladder. And that it's... I mean, we I, th- I think everyone gets a bit of sort of career envy about other comics, and it's probably natural and maybe even healthy. But I, what, what I try to remember now is that there, even even when I have a week, when I'm doing gigs that I maybe you know that I've been working hard at for a while but I can't progress at them or whatever and I see other comics doing gigs that I can't get onto I try and remember that there's probably something in my calendar that a lot of other comics would be jealous of whatever that might be whether that whether that's a gig whether that's you know uh I don't know some some filming some writing that I've done or whatever a corporate whatever it might be there's and that, that I think that probably applies to everyone there's there's stuff that other comics where where I can where I where I could potentially say oh well I'm doing twenties at this club where they're doing tens but they'll have something in their diary that they're doing that I'm not doing they they'll have done a, an Edinburgh show where they filled it every day and I didn't what what I think I'm getting better at is not looking at other people and going oh you know and getting down because they're they're ahead of me and they've been going less time than me do you know what I, mean? I mean that that is something that really is happening more and more as the years go on you look at people. Um, so I was in the semi-final of the BBC thing with Offaly Hockard. Um, she's incredibly neat. She's six months in. She's insanely good. Like, insanely good. Heidi Regan is in the final with me. Again, been going less time than me. Insanely good. Doing gigs that I can't get on. There's nothing wrong with that. Do you know what I mean? And I, I've, I've got a lot better at just sort of applauding people and going, good for you, you know, and, and you know, let, let's all do well and let's all kind of work and get better rather than getting down about where I am and where other people are. So in answer to the question, there's there's some where I'm still doing open tens. There's some where I've progressed to twenties, progressed quite quickly in some cases. There's there's some where I can't even get a ten. That's fine. It's alright. I'm I'm doing fine. I'm turning over material. I'm getting better. I'm not making enough money and no one is. Have you begun MCing regularly as you plan to? And did you do so after completing a course? I must have had a coffee or something before that question because I suddenly sound awake. Not, I, I don't MC regularly. I've started MCing more. I did do a course. Um, my parents, I think because my parents knew that I was performing at Angel quite a lot, they looked on the Angel website and they saw that Barry was doing an MCing course. So they bought me that for Christmas, which is really, really nice of them. And I did it. And, it, I mean, ba- Barry uh, Barry Ferns, the MC, well, one of the MCs of uh, Angel, he does that course. I think I don't think he's doing it again now. I I, he might do it again in future. But I'd re- it was a great course. It was a really interesting course. And his his kind of theory about what makes a good MC and you know trick to MCing. And I'm, I'm doing that thing with my fingers, which means I don't um, necessarily believe that that's the case. He he he's just a good teacher. And it, what what his kind of thing is all about is is finding your persona on stage and getting us trying to chip away and find out as much about that and know how your unique persona on stage would react to anything in the room and that being quite an honest and organic way of emceeing a room rather than sitting down and write and going, right, what job could everyone have? If they're a gardener, I'm going to say this. If they're an IT consultant, I'll say this. Rather than doing that, just knowing yourself really well on stage and, and having that. So in terms of that, I did that and that's actually made me a better act as well as an MC. I've done a bit of emceeing. I've done a bit of uh, paid emceeing. I don't know why I said that. I was showing up. Yeah, I wasn't showing up. I got paid 40 quid for it. It's nothing. Um, I'm not ungrateful. I would definitely do it again, guys, if you're listening. <laughs> I think I am doing it again, actually. I think I'm fixing um, No, I'm not doing loads of it. I'd like to do a little bit more of it, but it's not the be all and end all. Uh, I think it does make you a better act. 
I still don't think I'm the best at it. Well, I'm definitely not the best at it. But I still don't think I'm as good as I'd like to be at it. I still sometimes find when I MC that I'm just doing what I've seen other people do as an MC. Do you know what I mean? Like little games and little things you do with an audience and the way you go up at the end of your voice and, you know, all that stuff. And I, I still feel like that's not really me, but I'm just doing it because I've seen other people doing it. It works. So I don't know, maybe maybe I'll do more of that, maybe I won't. But it, it, I'm, I'm glad that I did that course. I definitely sound glad I did that course because it made me a better comic. Are you still collaborating with the performance artist Jake Farrell? And have you managed to raise any more money for charity? No, fuck that guy. Um, <laughs> no, I am. Um, it's quite funny, actually, because... So in, in the build-up to The Fringe, Chortle, Chortle, which are a, a comedy, an online comedy publication, do you reckon, is that? Yeah, that's a fair way to describe it. And and I should say, they're, they're an online comedy publication that I read regularly and that I actually quite like. Some comedians don't. In the build-up to The Fringe, they do these lists of 10 shows, you know, and it'll be like, here's 10 shows written by old comedians who haven't done The Fringe for a while. Here's 10 shows that are written by new comedians who have only been going for two years. One of the lists was, here's 10 comedians, and the, the headline was, Pants on Fire, right? Saying comedians who've been a bit loose with the truth in the description of their shows. I should give full disclosure. I read this article when I spent an afternoon trying to write some new stuff for my show that hadn't been particularly productive, and I was a bit down in the dumps. And I was looking through Twitter, and I saw this article, and I thought, this will be juicy. And in all honesty, I did. And in all honesty, I thought this would be good. So I opened the article. I was reading through. And I've got to be honest, I was enjoying it. I was the first person had used a quote from Chortle saying that they were a comic genius when they, I think what they'd actually, what Chortle had actually said was he obviously thinks he's a comic genius. And I was sat there thinking, fair enough. <laughs> and I read down, I was enjoying it, enjoying it. And then I saw my name. <laughs> and it was, uh, they'd listed my show. They'd said that I'd been loose with the truth um, because I'd used a quote that had actually been attributed to Jake Farrell, who I did my two-hander show with last year at the Fringe. The quote was actually from a review of both of us doing that show. Sh- I don't want to get into it too much, but I, 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 I am certain, as are many other people, including the person who wrote the review, that the quote that I used was deliberately there to describe both me and Jake and I had checked that the reviewer was happy for me to use it to describe my act and also that's all it was doing it wasn't actually beginning me up it was just listing the things that I talk about and that sort of started this not dispute with Chortle I mean they, they were really nice enough to, to put up a kind of um, to put up an article saying I don't know what did, what did they call it um, right to respond article and it was sort of saying Jacob Hawley has come out and said that actually it was about him this quote it wasn't about Jake but it was quite funny because it looked as if that had sort of t- you know it looked as if me and Jake were now rivals and it had tarnished our relationship which isn't the case at all Jake's one of the one of the nicest things that's come out of comedy for me of doing comedy is becoming best mates with Jake he's I consider him one of my really really good friends we both grew up in Stevenage well he grew up in Stevenage I was born in Stevenage and when we met at a gig a couple of years ago it was like we, we actually had loads of these mutual friends but we just didn't know each other and, and so since then we've become really good friends we did Brighton and Edinburgh together last year we still write together very regularly we're working on a sort of longer project and yeah he's still one of my really really good friends um, we're, we're considering doing a podcast together called Thatch Chat about the uh, about the state of our hairlines 
and then our attempts to re- uh, recover them. He he wants to call what does he want to call it? Thatch concerns or thatch worries or th- something rubbish like that, right? And I've tried to tell him no one wants to have that on their lists of podcasts because it because then if anyone sees that they go oh you're worried about your hairline. I've tried to tell him a hundred times thatch chat will work. His his idea won't. What does he want to call it? Thatch concerns. Oh, that's something stupid. But yeah, he's, he's still a mate. The chortle thing has not divided us. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm still. Um, we're, we're not. We didn't do a show together this year. I'd qu- I would quite like to do another two-hander show together next year at the Fringe, and it's just you know just as a sort of like new material kind of thing. We could get guests and stuff on. We'll, I don't know. We'll see. J- we Jake Jake's got an incredible job where he works for a charity called the Access Project. That takes up a lot of his time, which means that he doesn't gig as much as I do. So whether he could find the time to do the fringe next year, I don't know. I'd love it if he could. And 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 part of that question is, have we made any more money for charity? We did. We've done more stuff with the charity Football Beyond Borders. We did a night for them in March, I think it was, and it went really well. Yeah, we're still working together quite a lot, and he's still one of my best mates. Have you given up on the Labour Party? <laughs> I mean, if I had, I'd have written an Edinburgh show about it, and <laughs> I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have half empty rooms every day. I I I've, I don't know, I don't want to get into it too much. I voted Labour, and they didn't win. They did better than everyone expected. You know, he's the absolute boy. Apparently, I don't know. I I, I don't talk about politics explicitly on stage. I've been I've been described as a political act a couple of times, and I can kind of understand why. But I don't really talk about it um, explicitly on stage, and I, I try not to talk about it too explicitly in my private life either, because. I just don't have any answers. I'm not as well read as some people are about it, and I don't know as much about it. But yeah, I voted Labour. I haven't quite given up on them, but Jesus Christ, they, <laughs> yeah, they are what they are, I guess. Are you funnier now than you were a year ago? I'm a better stand-up comedian than I was a year ago, and that is probably more important. Well, no, it's not more important. It's not more important, and that's something I'm learning this year with the Fringe. I want to be funnier. That's really the next step for me, and that's that's something I really want to do in the next year, is get funnier. That sounds like a really silly thing to say as a stand-up comedian. I've definitely got better as a comedian. I've written a lot more material, so I'm doing 40 minutes this year, and at least 25 or 30 of those were written in the last 12 months, and that's a sign of me getting a lot more productive in the last year. One thing I, I think I I'm quite good at is writing routines that have a definitive ending so they're quite rounded they're quite you know I'm good at finishing on a callback or a pullback and reveal or you know um, a twist of logic or something but one thing I do really want to do is get funnier I think sometimes I a mistake that I make is I try and try and have a clever line on stage rather than a funny line on stage and that's something that I do want to improve I think it comes back to what what most people do, which is try and get as close as you, you are to the person you are when you're down the pub and you're making your friends laugh, or when I'm with Ruby and I'm making her laugh. And I think that's what will perhaps make me funnier, is maybe just being a bit sillier. I I mean, yeah, I, I, I ended on that question last year. That I, I, This is the last question, I think. I ended on that question. I ended on that question last year because the main objective that I always have, above any industry stuff, about above any kind of recognition, I just want to get funnier and better. I've definitely got a lot better. I've probably got funnier, but I want to get a lot funnier. What was the happiest moment of the last year? <sighs> happiest moment of the last year. My niece being born, being healthy, um, my sister being healthy as well, and everything being okay in that sense. Um, Ruby and I moving into our place and it actually being a home rather than a room that didn't have windows. I mean, that's not really been a moment, but that's just been a really nice thing. Three gigs stand out, and it's probably, you know, it's probably a bit disrespectful towards Ruby and my family that I put gigs in there, but it's a comedy podcast, so fuck them. Um, 
Three gig, three gigs stand out, and I, I think I said it earlier, but whenever Masood MCs and whenever I'm at the Bill Murray and Angel, there's just something that happens. And the yeah, the three gigs that stand out, they've all been on that stage, and oh my god, it's just so much fun, and it's just like it just feels incredible, and I yeah, and I just remember after those gigs, just feeling like really good. The, yeah, they're they're all the things that stand out. I've had some really good moments with my mates as well over the last year. But yeah, so my, my niece being born, everything with Ruby, and then those three gigs at the Bill Murray where Masood was emceeing. Um, one of them, something happened with the sound, but there was just this big banging and popping from the speakers. And I can't remember what I said, but there's sort of like some audience interaction and improvisation that made that quite fun. But yeah, the, those gigs are always really good. I've had some nice ones at Top Secret as well. That's always fun. Where else has been a really happy moment? Shouldn't be this hard to think of, should it? <laughs> that says a lot about my mental health. Um, but yeah, there's been some really happy moments. It's been a nice year. Are there any questions that you wish you had asked a year ago or any that you wish you hadn't? I wish I hadn't asked about so many projects that I haven't actually done anything with. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I sort of say I said earlier that I'd like this sort of I'd like to have some representation sorted. I mean, if they listen to this and they hear how many things I start that don't work, they might not bother. I don't know. I, the rest, is, I suppose, the question. I mean, I'm not an interviewer, which is something that I need to get better at because I, I, one of the projects I'm working on is quite a journalistic project at the moment. I mention that now in a year's time I'm going to be annoyed at myself for bringing that up because I won't have fucking done anything with it um, <laughs> yeah but it's where else do I wish I'd asked about I don't know I can't, I, no, nothing springs to mind I, I, I wish I, I wish happier moments came came easier to think of <laughs> but yeah it's, it's been it's been quite a good year I, I've, I've got better as a comedian I, I think in, ter- in terms of this podcast and the, what, what this kind of documents I suppose it, the most important thing is that I've got a lot better as a comedian and so I'm happy in that sense. That was Jacob. I could really relate to the guilty feeling of having not done enough on stage, not being experimental enough on stage and pushing boundaries, and of course, the random chance and luck of the industry. Uh, as I said to him, we were talking uh, privately a few days ago, and I said to him, it's amazing how well you've done, and it's really interesting to see, because obviously you're really funny, and I really love what you do, but there have been people who have been going 10 years more than you who haven't achieved as much and so it's fascinating to me to watch someone who's really driven and really interesting and really funny do really well really quickly it it, it really reaffirms some take in my belief that it's a meritocracy on the circuit which I don't always feel so I really enjoyed this and I really enjoyed hearing his thoughts on how he's changed and how the circuit's changed and, and everything around that. If you're new here, please do remember to hit the subscribe button. If you're old here, please do remember to give us an honest, ideally positive review in iTunes. I really want to get those up. I really want to get those above 20 and we're on our way there, guys. So if you have a minute, please do leave us a review. I say us, it's me. Please do leave me a review. I do all the better work on this. Each episode takes a year to put together plus about 12 hours of editing time. So if you've enjoyed this, please leave me a review. It really helps out and keeps the show going. Also, if you could, please join the Facebook group. It's called The Audio Time Capsule and it's on Facebook, of course. Or you can follow us on Twitter at Audio Time Travel. Every week, I pose one question that was inspired by the questions that were left by the guest for you to answer in the Facebook group for us to have a conversation about. This week, I'm going to ask you, what have you done recently to be more experimental in your life? It could be comedy related. It doesn't have to be. It could be you tried to cook something new. It could be you did a life drawing class. It could be you tried a new sex position. It could be absolutely anything. Whatever you've done recently, 
that shows you've tried something new, write it in the group and share with us how you've been experimental and how you've tried something for the first time. The Audio Time Capsule is a fruit that got in gravity's way production for the internet. All elements were created by me, comedian Simon Kane, except for the music that was composed by David Jordan. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for subscribing. And thank you very much for rating and donating if you do. I'll see you all in about 14 days time. Bye.